We're going to continue our series of messages on the seven churches of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, next week, with the second message on the book of, on the uh, church at Pergamos, or Pergamum. One of the problems with a series of messages over the seven churches is that you can sometimes get that feeling or the impression that our Lord Jesus Christ has nothing but contempt for the local church. If you'll notice Revelation chapter 2 and 3, just a, a summary of some of the things that are said there by our Lord Jesus Christ, he writes the letter, To the church at Ephesus, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. To the church in Smyrna, do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. To the church at Pergamos, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. And you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. To the church at Thyatira, you allow the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. To the church at Sardis, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. To the church in Philadelphia, for you have little strength. To the church of the Laodiceans, the last church, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Unfortunately, this is how many well-meaning Christians sometimes today speak about their church. But there is a difference in the case of our Lord Jesus Christ. His words of rebuke and chastening are found in the context of words that speak of his zeal for the church, of his love for the church. You cannot read the letters that our Lord Jesus Christ wrote to the seven churches and not be aware of one thing, his zeal. He was full of zeal. Zeal for each and every church that she would become the church he wanted her to become. And that if she was not becoming that, if she was headed in the wrong direction, that somehow she would repent, turn around, and begin becoming the church that she was intended to be. A lampstand holding up the truth by what she did and what she said. The truth of Jesus Christ. Notice these verses from Revelation 2 and 3. To the church of Ephesus, you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. To the church at Smyrna, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. To the church at Pergamos, repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with my sword the sword of my mouth, to the church of Thyatira. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill the children, kill her children with death, and all the churches, all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. To the church at Sardis, hold fast, Hold fast and repent. To the church of Philadelphia, behold, I am coming quickly. 
Hold fast what you have, that no one take your crown. To the church of the Laodiceans, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous, be zealous and repent. Zeal. Our Lord Jesus Christ was zealous for the church, for his church. Each and every one of the local churches on this earth, he is zealous for them. And he wants us to be zealous for his church as well. Our word for zeal or zealous comes from the Greek word zeleo. It is a word that speaks of strong emotion. It speaks of stirred up desire. It speaks of enthusiasm. I remember once I used the word enthusiasm. Somebody felt that wasn't a godly word. And I thought, that's the word for zeal in our English language in, in terms of how it expresses. Now, zeal can be used positively or it can be used negatively. We can be zealous for the wrong things in life. But in the context of the church, our Lord wants us, his people, to be zealous for the things that he's zealous for. If you were to trace through the seven churches, he wants us to be zealous to protect our love with him and for him above all else. He wants us to be zealous to be found faithful unto death. He wants us to be zealous to rid the church of false teachers. We looked at last week. He wants us to be zealous for the truth. He wants us to be zealous for purity and holiness. He wants us to be zealous to persevere and zealous to guard that close personal relationship and fellowship with Him. Now, as we read through His letters to these seven churches, this is how churches, how a church's zeal is to translate into action. We will look at that more closely in the weeks to come. But this morning, I wanted to pause in the midst of the big picture And I wanted to look at the individuals that make up the picture. You see, every local church, we talk of a church, and the church is made up of specific people. Every one of you is a member of the church. And what I would like to do this morning is to look at the the people who make up the church and to look at their zeal for the church and how that translates into action. Now, in the days when John wrote the book of Revelation, there were local churches that were real churches, and the seven churches were real churches, and there were many others besides seven, in which people lived in those churches, and they showed their zeal for the Lord in many, many different ways. And that's what we want to look at this morning. And I would like for you, if you have your Bible, to turn to Romans chapter 16. I didn't pass out a note sheet. I don't have any overhead this morning. I just want you to turn. If you have a Bible, there are some in the back of the pews that you can pull out. If your neighbor doesn't have one, share your Bible with him or her. And turn to Romans chapter 16. You're thinking, what? Now, wait, what's what's that? Is that about the resurrection? Is that about? This is a chapter you probably have not thought about. Because the only thing you can say about the chapter, it's about people. It's about people. No chapter in the New Testament speaks more 
specifically about specific people who were on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ than this chapter, who were on fire for his church. What were these zealous saints of God actually doing? The Apostle Paul has written a letter to the church at Rome, a real church like ours. And that church was full of people. And the Apostle Paul, after all the great doctrines that he brought out in the book of Revelation, he comes down to a chapter where it's just as practical as you can possibly get, and he's talking specifically to individuals by name in the church at Rome. He's also speaking about people in the church at Corinth because it was from the church of Corinth that he was writing. There's also another little town right outside of Corinth called Sancria, which was a seaport town where the, the Corinthians would set sail onto the Mediterranean Sea. That was part of the picture as well, and there was a church there. So you have really three churches that are under that are in the focus of the Apostle Paul. You have those in the Corinthian church who are sending greetings to those in the Roman church and Romans that Paul wants to make note of as well. And so I would like for you just to walk with me through this passage because in this passage of Scripture, we sort of uncover what it is that stands out about zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his church. What is it that really causes the Apostle Paul, as he thinks about these churches and about the relationship of these people to the church and to each other, that stands out in his mind? And so let's begin with uh, verse 1 here. And uh, let me mention one other thing before we do. There are 35 names in chapter 16 of Romans. Most of them are Gentile names, showing that most of these were not Jews, but were Gentiles. Some of them were Jews. Most of them that are mentioned here, most of the names that are mentioned, are mentioned nowhere else in the New Testament. Paul's mention of them, again, illustrates the zeal they had for the Lord and his church. And in several instances, we are provided enough information to just see how, to just see how this zeal translates into action in the church. Romans 16, verse 1. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Cancrea, or Sencrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Now there's some interesting words here. I commend to you Phoebe. Greek name. She's a Gentile. Furthermore, she must have been a widow because she was traveling from Corinth or from Sancria to Rome. If she was going to Rome, she was traveling alone on a boat. And women who were married or women who were not married could not travel alone. Only women who were widowed could travel alone in that culture. Furthermore, she was likely wealthy, if you get into the context of what's said here. She had enough to pay for her expenses to travel, which was an expensive proposition in those days, as it is in ours. 
And when she got there, she had business that she wanted to conduct, so she was involved in some kind of international trading here. So in reality, I'm trying to give you a picture of Phoebe. And the first thing it says is that she is a sister, a believer in Jesus Christ, and she is also called a servant, diakonos is the word here, of the church in Sancria. The word diakonos is used in every place that it's tr uh, translated. It's translated usually deacon or minister. Only one time is it translated servant, and that's here. So that makes me somewhat suspect. Her zeal was a zeal that was translated into the fact that she was willing to assume, I believe, an office. We might call it the office of a deaconess in the church at Sancria. Now, what do deacons and deaconesses do? According to other scriptures, they visit the sick. They visit widows and orphans, most likely. They provided for the needy out of church funds, and they also looked over or looked after the financial and material needs of the church. She was part of that group of people who were leaders in the church, caring for the church in that way. And basically what we're learning here is that she was to be received, the Apostle Paul says, when she went to Rome, receive her in, a Lord, in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Now, what would that mean? That's speaking about hospitality. Now he's talking about the zeal of the Romans. And he says, when this dear servant of Christ, a deacon in the church of Sancria, comes to you, you receive her and make sure, first of all, to show her hospitality. He was looking to people in the church at Rome to be zealous to step up to the plate and open their homes and to make sure that her material and physical needs were taken care of. Furthermore, he goes on and says, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. She needs contacts. She's coming there to do business. I want you to help her. I want you to get her into the network there in Rome. And what church doesn't have a network? of people that are in business, that are in the know when it comes to the community. Zeal. In the church at Rome, it was to be translated into hospitality. It was also to be translated into having the willingness to take someone who's an outsider and make them quickly an insider and enable them to begin to work the network that existed there, especially within the churches. And then it says this. For indeed she is or has been a helper of many and of myself also. The word helper is the word prostasis, which means prostatus, which is a word that has the idea of leader or ruler. It can also have in that culture the, word, the idea of patron. And it seems that that would lend itself well to what's being said here, that she was a patron of many and of myself also. A patron in the Greek culture was one who used his or her financial resources to sponsor people for positions and promotions in society. Well, in the church, to be a patron meant that you used your financial resources to support those who were doing the work of the Lord. And so when it says that she has indeed been a patron of many and of myself also, Paul is saying... Phoebe used her personal finances 
to assist Christians, especially him, who were busy doing the work of the Lord. Zeal for the church translates into being a person willing, if you're wealthy, to put your financial resources to work to see that people are doing ministry and being supported. Theophilus, who Luke uh, recalls and dedicates his gospel and the book of Acts to, clearly had a picture of this and was undoubtedly underwriting Luke's work of writing the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Also, one other thing that would be of interest, and that is that most scholars feel that Phoebe was the one that carried the book of Romans to Rome from Corinth. Paul wrote it in Corinth. And then it was taken to Rome via Phoebe, who was going there. So her zeal translated not only into her willingness to assist, financially to assist leaders like Paul, but she was willing to take the word of God and transport it, carry it by hand to Rome. Third, or chapter 16, verse 3, we meet another couple Two people. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Now, Priscilla was the dominant one in this this home because her name occurs first in several places. And it seems to be that uh, she's the one that sort of takes the initiative. That doesn't mean Aquila didn't have his act together, but she was just the more vocal one in the family. And after... You look at this, you wonder, well, she was, Paul says that Priscilla and Aquila were fellow workers. Well, zeal translates to being a fellow worker, but that doesn't communicate so much. What's a fellow worker? So I'd like for you just to, if you wouldn't mind, turning over to Acts chapter 18. Put your finger there in Romans 16. And let me just read to you something here about Phoebe, or pardon me, not Phoebe, but Priscilla and Aquila. Acts chapter 18, and we'll begin in verse 1, and I'm going to be jumping through the chapters so that we won't be reading all the verses But this is what we read in Acts chapter 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and he went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontus and had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome and he came to them. Priscilla and Aquila lived where originally? Rome. Why were they kicked out? Because they were Jews. And they were kicked out, and so they went to Corinth, which was far more open to everybody and anything. So they met up with Paul in, in Corinth. Paul was going to be there. Priscilla and Aquila were there. And so they met Paul there and got to know him. And then we read in verse 3 of chapter 18 of Acts. So because he was of the same trade... He stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. They provided a place for Paul to live, not just show some hospitality for a week or two, but he lived there. Secondly, they provided Paul work. They were tent makers. Paul knew how to make tents. Join us. Their zeal for the church translated into the action in which they would have somebody living in their home, Paul. Over my lifetime in ministry, I have known 
it seems like that in every church I've been in, there's always been one or two people that just always seem to open their homes. And people were always seem to be living with them. It wasn't just like hospitality, like we would show, but it seemed like their home was sort of a thoroughfare for people that were living with them for a year or two. We've had them in our church. I've had them in former churches. You probably can think of people like that. That's zeal translated into action. Paul provided, they also provided Paul work. I know one thing that that should resonate with Coast Bible Church because we have a lot of people here that know how to network and are either employing or looking for employees from the church. And uh, many people in Coast Bible Church have found jobs. Well, that's zeal translated into action for the church. Furthermore, in verse 18, jumping down to verse 18 of chapter 18 of the book of Acts, we read, So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. Priscilla and Aquila were with him. Not only did their zeal translate into having Paul in their home and providing work for him, but then when he got ready to leave, they became his companions. They went with him. I remember when I did some ministry overseas years ago in which I was teaching pastors how to pastor in Thailand and India. And I remember we had uh, somebody from our church uh, go with me. He stepped right up and said, I want to do it. I want to go. That's zeal translated into action. That's what Priscilla and Aquila were willing to do. In verse 19 of Acts 18, we read, And Paul came to Ephesus and left them, Priscilla and Aquila, there in Ephesus. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, Egypt, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. I mean, this guy was polished. He had his act together. I mean, he'd step up here and hold you spellbound. He came to Ephesus. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, verse 25, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Now, this is referring to the Lord from the Old Testament. Though he knew only the baptism of John, John baptized his followers with a view to Messiah. He said the Messiah is coming, and when you're being baptized by John, you were saying, I too agree and want to prepare for Messiah's coming. But who's Messiah? So he began, we read in verse 26 of Acts 18, so Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, and when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now their zeal is spilling over and they've taken a polished speaker, somebody extremely gifted communicator of the Word of God who knew his Old Testament and knew what salvation was from an Old Testament perspective, but they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. They explained the truth. They explain the grace of God through Jesus Christ. I know of people in our church who've taken the time, and maybe they're not eloquent, 
but they understand the grace of God as it relates to our salvation and our sanctification and the way we live. And they've taken people aside who perhaps are more polished, better communicators, but they've taken them aside and explained to them the way of God more accurately. That's zeal for the church translated into action. And when he, Apollos, desired to cross to Achaia, that is Greece, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Now he's taking what he learned from Priscilla and Aquila, and he's becoming a disciple maker for Jesus Christ. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. The zeal of Priscilla and Aquila, just an ordinary couple, like most of us here today, translated into not only being tent makers, but being disciple makers. And that is what Paul was emphasizing in Romans chapter 16, verse 3, when he called them fellow workers. They weren't apostles. They were disciple makers. They were people that were willing to be companions. They were people who were willing to put their life on the line for the Lord Jesus Christ. But then we read on, if you go back to Romans chapter 16, verse 3, it says that Priscilla and Aquila risk their own necks for my life, Paul says, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches, the Gentiles, because Paul had had a significant impact on their ministries, on the church, churches around that area. And Priscilla and Aquila, he kept telling the churches, they're the ones that snatched me. This is probably going to what broke out in Ephesus when a bunch of crazy people, he called them wild beasts, tried to kill him right on the spot for his testimony for Jesus Christ. And I picture that Priscilla and Aquila probably ran into the crowd having some measure of stature there, grabbed Paul and yanked him away from them before they killed him. And so they were willing to risk their own lives for his. That's probably what it's saying. And therein, zeal translates into action. People were willing to take risk, even risk their own physical bodies for others. Moving on in verse 5. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Priscilla and Aquila were very much into translating their zeal into hospitality. They, were, they had a home, and they used it for hospitality, and they also used it to host the church. In that day, they were in, in um, Ephesus at the time, perhaps, or Corinth. And at that particular situation, when you had, it was Ephesus, they would be in a community and there would be little house churches that would really make up the church. So when the letter to the Ephesians was written, it was written to all the Christians in the community, but those Christians were meeting in individual homes in groups of 10, 20, 30 people. But altogether, they made up the church at Ephesus. Well, one of the homes would have been Priscilla and Aquila's home. They were willing to translate their zeal for the church into saying, we have a home large enough for 20 or 30 people. Have your meeting here. Next, we read in verse 5 of chapter Romans chapter 16, Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits, the first one to believe of Achaia of Greece, to believe in Jesus Christ. He was probably an older, influential patriarch, and Paul wanted to make, make it clear out of his zeal for the church that he didn't leave unmentioned somebody that had been 
special to him as a first convert. And it's not easy to be a first convert, I'm sure. Furthermore, he says, greet him. Now, all the way through this chapter, you've come to the word greet, 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 greet. What's it mean? The word greet basically has the idea of to embrace. To put your arm around somebody and say, I, I'm love, I love you as a brother or sister in Christ. Sometimes it was in that culture they would kiss someone on the cheek. And that was a frequent way of showing that you were greeting them in affection. They also would offer a hand as we do, a handshake. And the sense was is when you greet somebody, when you, when you hug them and you put your arm around them and you, you give them a squeeze, you're saying, I accept you. I value you. You're important to us. I've missed you. And those, those feelings, something that can't always be communicated by words. You can say it, but you can't always feel it. And so it's important in Paul's mind to not only say you greet them and that you're excited to see them and that you've missed them, but you put your arms around them and you give them a big hug. A church should be a hugging church. Because it's in those hugs that we convey that we really love each other and we support each other. Verse 6. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Now, Mary labored, it says. And the word for labor here has the idea of strenuous labor. I mean, she physically put out a lot of effort on behalf of Paul and other servants of the Lord. And that's how her zeal translated into action in the church. What some people never, never stop, whether it's sewing or cleaning or cooking or what can I do for you, Paul? How can I help you? And she wouldn't even need to be told because she would find things that would just make his life and his ministry all the more effective and easier to do. She was a person who translated her zeal for the church into hard labor. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junia. This is another husband-wife team, most likely. And they are probably missionaries and have been missionaries, disciple-makers. Paul calls them his countrymen. They were probably Jewish, and he calls them his fellow prisoners, which means they had probably suffered imprisonment for their faith because they had gone places and had spread the gospel. And they were noted among the apostles. They were closely associated with the apostles. So it's likely, although they weren't apostles, they were part of that apostolic group that was going out and carrying the faith. That's how they translated their love for the church into action. They were willing to go out and to risk even imprisonment and danger to take the gospel of Christ to others. 8, verse 8, greet Amplias, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in the Lord. And he goes on here in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved, greet Apelles, approved. This is the same word where it talks about a workman, approved, needeth not to be ashamed. Approved in Christ, greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trophina, Trophosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet beloved Persis, who labored in the Lord. Notice all this in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. That was a strange one as I looked at that. Found out that Rufus was the son of Simon Cyrene, who was the one who carried the cross for Christ. And that's why he was chosen. 
they looked at that, the early church looked at that, what a blessing for God to choose your dad to want to carry the cross. You, in, in a sense, have been chosen as part of his, as being his son. And then Paul, though, focuses on not Rufus. He says, greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, and his mother and mine. That's an interesting way to put things. Mother is like my mother. What's that mean? Have you ever known a mother that adopts sons? Has a special love for, for people that come into her life, particularly perhaps men that are working and doing things, and she says, I'll take care of you. I'll love you like a son. That's how they translated their zeal for the church into action. You have a mother here that was a good mother for Rufus, but she was willing to mother Paul. And you value that. I've had some mothers in my life who've looked after me in addition to my real mom. And they just sort of know how to take care of you. Greet Asyncritus, Philagon, Hermas, Petrobas, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philogos and Julia, Nurus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions. What's this all about? Out of the blue. Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine that you've received from me, which you've learned, and what? Avoid them. Their zeal translates into action for the church when they are spotting people that are teaching wrong things, that are dividing the body, that are hurting the body. They avoid them. That's a negative, but it's a good negative. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. That's not that they were hung up on food, but they were hung up on pleasure. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience, your zeal for obeying the Lord has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning what is evil. He's talking to the church at Rome. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, a Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. And I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you. Who's Tertius? He's the one that wrote what Paul was writing. Paul really didn't take the pen in hand and write it down. He dictated it. And Tertius was a secretary. He translated his zeal for the church by being willing to write down, which was a laborious task in that culture and a very expensive one. You couldn't make mistakes, so it was tedious. He translated it into action by copying down what Paul dictated. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church greets you. A host was not only somebody that showed hospitality, but somebody who took strangers under their wing and showed them the ropes of the community. So Gaius must have been the, the person, if you came to the church at Rome, you would probably have met Gaius first. He translated his zeal into action by basically greeting you at the door and beginning to show you the ropes about the church and the whole community. Erastus, the treasure of the city, greets you. Quartius, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began, but now has been made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone be wisdom 
glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. People. 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 Christian people. Zealous for the Lord Jesus Christ. Translating that zeal into action in the life of the church. The church at Rome, the church at Corinth, the church at Sancria. They were zealous to step forward as servant leaders. As deacons and deaconesses. Visiting the sick and the widows and orphans and providing for the needy out of the church funds. Caring for the financial and material needs of the church. They were zealous to show hospitality to help any brother or sister plug into a network that existed in the community among the Christians as well as among the non-Christians. Wealthy Christians were zealous to use their financial means to assist full-time Christian workers and leaders. They were zealous to risk their, their lives for the life of one of God's servants. They were zealous to provide Christian leaders a place to live, zealous to provide companionship, zealous to disciple and explain the truth to those who didn't know the truth clearly enough, zealous to provide a home in which the church could meet, zealous to work hard on behalf of God's servants, zealous to carry the gospel to other places in the face of imprisonment and death, zealous to be approved of God, zealous to look out and care for a Christian worker as a son or a daughter, zealous to avoid divisions and those who cause it, zealous to obey our Lord Jesus Christ, zealous to record the Word of God, zealous to host and take in strangers under their wing, zealous to greet and embrace each other as those beloved and accepted by our Lord Jesus Christ. In Paul's day, and specifically in the day of the seven churches of the book of Revelation, there was a lot of zeal for the local church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, as our Lord looked at the whole church and saw the big picture, He spotted things that needed to be addressed. Problem areas that, in some cases, the church needed to dramatically repent of. But I'm sure He never lose sight of the zeal of those individuals in the church who keep translating their zeal into action. That's what we're talking about. It was not a zeal for a church building. It was not a zeal for the Christian religion. It was a zeal for a family made up of all those who have been born again through faith in Jesus Christ. All those who have received eternal life by believing in Jesus Christ for that gift of life. How about you? How about me? Are we zealous for the local church of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do we have a zeal for our church family? Do we have a zeal for the person sitting to the right and the left of us and the person in back of us and the person in front of us? These are questions only you and I can answer ourselves. But if we are zealous for the church, for people, for the family of God, our rewards will literally be out of this world. I close with two passages of Scripture. I'm just reading them. 1 Corinthians 2.9 But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. 2 Timothy 4.8 Finally, there is laid up 
for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. Father, I pray that you would take your word and drive it home to our hearts. We thank you, Father, for how it reminds us so clearly of the need to translate our zeal for the church into action. Help us to be zealous and help us to see how we can make a difference in our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to close with Calm Thou Fount.